All right, it's episode 93. It's going to be hot, 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 like the weather outside right now. Get that SPF. Smear it all over yourself. Ah, 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 ah. Don't forget. Nope. Don't forget the back of your neck. Ah, ah, ah. Don't forget the back of your knees. Come on. What are you working with? SPF 30? Uh-huh. 40? 50? Are you? Oh, my God. You crazy old Tomcat. Are you going with 80? Are you just caking it on like whipped cream at this point? Do you even know what SPF stands for? Okay. Okay. All right. I'll respect that. All right. So episode 93 is the Josh Friday episode. We made it. It's actually happening. I finally got Josh on the show. And I know I've been previewing that for a while. Probably too long. I was convinced that it just wouldn't happen. Just wasn't the right forum for him to express himself. Although deep down I knew it was. So just constant previewing with no payoff. That all ends today. Here's the payoff. Of course, it was not an in-person interview. Social distancing, folks. So from my microphone to your ears. Who is Josh? Some of you know. Some of you don't. He is certainly like a brother to me. One of my closest lifelong friends. A friendship that goes way back. Way back to the early 90s. When we had boys to men cassette tapes. And when I was a young leadoff hitter on his dad's Little League baseball team, probably led the league in walks that year. Is that something to brag about? Nope. Okay. But Josh was actually very mature. I remember that. Meeting him back then, plenty of freckles, lots of integrity, lots of confidence. Yeah, very mature 10-year-old. Already showed signs of being a good leader. And a pretty good catcher, too, actually. So he's always been on this fast track in the world of politics and activism So a lot of his success is totally unsurprising to me. And he does see the big picture, always has. He likes to do his part. I remember when we were sophomores in high school, that summer he went to the Dominican Republic to help the less fortunate. I could provide plenty of examples just like that, but it's why his current role as the chief service officer for the state of California suits him perfectly. So right now he's coordinating volunteer work and community engagement. And when he was the mayor of Novato, He was doing the same. One of the great things he accomplished was he put together a program with Dominican University, which is right here in Santa Fe, providing $100,000 in scholarship funding for students in exchange for their public service. And it was a brilliant idea. And I got to see it in its incubation phase. And then I got to see him implement it a few years ago and even feed him a few of my students from the high school I work at so they could go to Dominican and receive 100 k towards their education if they would just give back to the community. And think about that. If more and more and more kids did that, and more and more colleges provided opportunities like that, I think it would elevate our communities quite a bit. So oddly with Josh, when we just talk, when it's not a podcast and we just talk, we don't really talk about politics. We don't really talk about government that much. Although he is probably the most informed person I know on those topics. Our dynamic is just a little different. I guess it just delves into meaningless conversations, topics that make us laugh. Probably a release from some of the heavy topics in the world. Heavy topics, like the ones I think about, like the ones that might be consuming you right now, like the topics he works with every day when you work for the state of California. It's not exactly lighthearted work. Right now, he's just setting up volunteer service throughout the state during a coronavirus pandemic. Hey, can we get some volunteers during a pandemic? So a major challenge, but He's doing a great job with that, of course. So wanted to get him on the podcast. Not sure we really go into many 
political issues, but I just wanted to have him share some of his wisdom and views and reflect a little bit on the current state of the world. So here's a guy who's moving away. He's leaving me. He's going up to Davis to be closer to his work in Sacramento. So I figured right now, right now is the time to get him before he forgets about the little people from the old neighborhood. Actually, no, he won't forget. In all honesty, he does represent the type of selfless and caring humans that leaders should be, that people wish was the norm for politicians. It's no secret a lot of people are cynical with their views of politicians, I guess including me at times. You know, the media presents a lot of the corruption throughout the years, a lot of the deception. A lot of them come off as smarmy, as in it for themselves, a big old egos, when really... It's kind of the opposite. You got to be selfless. You're a representative of the citizens. So, yeah, it seems like a dirty game. Politics, dirty game. But there are some good ones, like Josh. And I think that comes across in this conversation. I hope it does. And you'll hear a guy like Josh, believe it or not, has always had the dream to be the president of the United States, but is not an egomaniac. Could that be? Wants to be the president, but not an egomaniac. Hmm. I just think he understands purpose. He understands just to zoom out a little bit and know that we all need to do our part to help society advance and advance in a positive direction. Now I'm just giving a speech. All right, I'm done. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh Friday. Hey, buddy. I'm checking your levels, folks. (laughs) Hold on. I got Rodney, the uh, engineer in here. Rodney, how are his levels? Oh, what's that? (laughs) I made you up? You don't exist? Yeah. Your shit together, Rodney. Um, how is it on your end? I can hear you great. I'm glad I glad it's only audio because I was gonna have to shave for you. No. Well, that also is further proof that you've never fucking seen this podcast or heard this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> is it audio or video? Audio. Hey, whoops, I swore already. I know. You just went straight for the F bomb. Wait. <laughs> You should have given me some warning. Just like I'm going to give you warning right now. Are you so, uh, Are you feeling um? you could be present? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, perfect. Iced coffee or just old hot coffee? <laughs> it was iced coffee, actually. I made it. Really? Me too. You made iced coffee today? Cheers, my friend. How did you make it? I went fancy. I got, um, I got, uh, I did the espresso maker. Put it on ice. Well, there's no reason to one-up me so early in my program. <laughs> how, uh, how long does these usually go? Five, ten seconds max till the guest runs away. It feels like their best interest might be to not do this. Am I on? I'm going to start. Um, <laughs> and you're going to absolutely love this. Because you don't have to answer anything based on pomp or circumstance. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. Um, I, look, I don't need to be humble right now. I can tell you right now. I got a big ass following. Okay. Should I still not swear are the kids in the room? Okay, then sit there. But don't interrupt, all right? Because that's very, very rude to Josh. The man is taking time away from his family mm-hmm. to do this with mm-hmm. me. I like the way you frame okay. that. It's going down tonight. Tonight it goes down. It's going down tonight. You ever go back and listen to something we thought was really great in the mid-90s, and it's eh, not so great? Or do you think it's timeless, all these shitty rap songs that we committed our lives to? (laughs) No, I've listened to a couple of them. Like Bluebird on My Shoulder. RBL. Yeah. (laughs) I still love that. You still love it. Oh, my God. RBL actually holds up for me. 
there's a boober on my shoulder. Should I kill it? Is that was that it? That's a sweet beat though. <laughs> that was a good beat. What was the Domino song? Remember Domino had a song? We could do this whole podcast about nineties rap if you wanted. To. That's true. Well, Ruthless by Law was a very important group for our time. The bluebird on my shoulder hit. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna get this party started. Are we making this a Memorial Day podcast, Josh? No, I'm, okay. I probably won't release it till like release. The hot release is coming Tuesday or Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> and you better keep sipping on that caffeinated beverage because I'm gonna need your brain synapses going, pal. I'm gonna need them Good. going. I know you've been doing a lot of media as well lately. You've done a lot of media probably throughout your life. And I have to say, this might be the second most important appearance of your life because clearly the first, it's still romper room. When you were very, very assertive with Miss Nancy, do you vividly remember that or is it way, way before you had real solid memories? Vividly. That was a big moment in my life. That was an informative <laughs> moment. Well, let's Absolutely. just explain how it happened. Your Auntie Dina worked at KTVU, right? Yeah. Auntie Dina walked into the boss's office and said, you put my nephews on or I'm leaving. Ooh, I like that. She yeah, was fierce. She was now, she was <laughs> that story is either made up or she really had some pull around there. And I think she had some pull because she got us a lot of Sharks tickets. And I remember going to see Dennis Richmond and Elaine Corral live when we were like 11, 12 years old. No. Do you think any 11-year-olds today care who the anchor man is on their local news network? We had unbelievable access to the most important people of our time. And no one really appreciated it except for you and me. Do you know? I just saw on on uh, on on the Twitter, uh, someone posted a show yesterday. It was twelve years since Dennis Richmond came off the air, and I was thinking, really? I actually had the thought to myself, I wonder if anyone else cares about this as much as I do. I That's watched him. Deal. I watched him sign off. It was actually emotional. I bet it was. Yeah, he was. He was a powerful figure. He was smooth. Culture. Well, the answer is no. Kids aren't watching the news, or you know keeping these people at such high esteem like we did and sports with Mark Abanez. And you and I were like, Ooh, you know, you got to stay up late for Mark Abanez. No one's getting their sports highlights from Mark Abanez. Yeah. It's very different. Are the numbers up though? Are more people watching sports than they did when we were a kid? Do you have any data on that? Uh, no, the only data I have is no sports are happening right now. So no one's watching anything. <laughs> what what the no, hell is a, a sports wrap up with Mark Abanez tonight? An official dramatic decline in sports watching over the last couple of months. Josh, <laughs> for asking though. Here's a live look at Chase Center. Nothing, nothing happening. <laughs> Once again, all right. So if I just ask you right now about your comfort level with moving, because you are moving to Davis, you've been in Novato since what 2013? Is that when you moved back? Uh, yes, exactly. Good, good timing. 2013. That's right. Well, clearly for selfish reasons, I'm a little bummed that you're leaving the hood, but I realized you selected a profession or maybe the profession selected you. This is your calling where you're just going to have a series of roles that are supposed to be temporary. Like some people take a job in this country and they go, you know what? This is the job I want today, tomorrow and beyond. And I want to retire here. You have a field as a career politician where I guess you have to just look at many different chapters of your life as being temporary. Have you gotten used to that? Is there a comfort you've developed in the fact that it's so fluid where you kind of have to get up and go sometimes? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I don't, certainly don't think I set out uh, for it to be that way, but it's how it's how things have worked out. I mean, my first job out of college was on a presidential campaign, and I had to be in North Carolina for that. And obviously, campaigns are temporary. They have an endpoint. 
uh, and then I joined the military and, and had a chance to live abroad. Uh, and, and then in uh, Washington, D.C., when I was part of the Guantanamo commissions and in the military, you do two or three year tours and then you move. And so there's sort of a temporary nature to each assignment there. And then uh, in coming back, no, I think um, I think I you know, I don't think I ever thought I was going to be moving to close to SAC and um, necessarily. And, and it certainly wasn't part of the plan, but. Uh, given the, the nature of uh, being involved in public service, um, there is an element of uh, needing to be um, flexible. And so it's who knows what's going to happen with this particular job and with Governor Newsom. And uh, you never know in a democracy, things can change every November. Um, but I, it, it, you're right in pointing out that you need to be flexible. And, and I think I'm OK with that. Well, you just said you never know about this and you never know about that. You've committed to a profession of you never know, just a series of you never knows. And that's why I'm wondering, is there even a destination? So when we were young, a dream job would have been so easy to label president. But obviously, you know, as you grow up and you're still in the world of politics, do you even have a destination? Is there even some glimmer of where you want to be? Or are you kind of just, you know, ambitious and along for the ride? Yeah, well, it's a deep question. Um, I got too deep too early. I should have saved that shit. <laughs> you, went, you went straight for it. I appreciate that about you, Rosenberg. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, I'm um, one, I'm lucky. I have a, an incredibly supportive family uh, that understands um, and is, is willing to be uh, adaptive and go along for the adventure as well. Um, but I think that for me, the destination is where can I make the biggest difference? Uh, and that's always been my... I, th- I think it's always been my goal. Um, I mean, I think somewhere along the way, you you sort of you think that there's like titles that can get you there, or certain jobs that can get you there, and maybe you you have that as a goal. But at, at this point in my life, I I think my my destination is is where can I have the biggest impact? And right now, and when the governor asked me to come and do this position and and, um, uh, and join his cabinet, it felt like that's where I could make the biggest difference, even though I had to give up my city council seat, uh, which I loved in, in Novato, and um, and give up my job at an organization that I loved and felt like I was having an impact, but um, really felt like this job, I could have a bigger impact. And if and when I ever change, my hope is is that the, it's the same destination and driven by, can I, can I make a bigger difference somewhere else? Yeah. Well, this vision, this impact that you want to make, it clearly comes from your own perspective of what is right in society, which is interesting because you have to have strong convictions. You have to have strong opinions, whereas you and I on a day-to-day basis, when we interact, I wouldn't consider you like the most opinionated friend I have, but you do have to have a stand, have to have a vision that you carry out. And when you do have a strong vision, you're going to have critics. And I've never seen it bother you. Whereas I know I have thin skin if I have critics. It doesn't seem to bother you. How is that? How have you developed this thick skin? Not just today, but you've always had it, even when we were younger. Um, really good question. I uh, uh, First of all, thank you. Uh, it's kind of you to say. Um, you don't see when I'm throwing pots and pans in the background. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I think the reality is in in this world of public policy and, and politics, um, you're always going to have people who, who think differently. And it isn't, like you said, it is important to have convictions and, and strong feelings and a sense of knowing where you're trying to go. And I think um, it, the reason it doesn't bother me generally is because I, I do know, at least I hope I know where I want to go and what things I think are important. And as long as I'm doing those, 
um, there's always going to be people who who uh, are against it or have a different view, and that's okay. It's, you know, it's it's kind of the whole point of this is is getting in the game to fight for what you believe in. Uh, I also had very early in my career, I had someone give me the advice uh, in politics that if you're not making enemies, you're not really doing anything. I like that. Um, and I sort of took that to heart, which is, you know, the goal is not to make enemies and be a jerk by any means. Um, but if you're if you're just trying to get along with everybody and uh, and keep everybody happy, then that you're probably not pushing hard enough and uh, and not trying to make enough big enough change that's really needed in this country. And so I've also taken that to heart and have tried to always feel like if I'm if I'm pushing on the things that I care about and 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 trying to really um, change things and and pursue justice and if that's going to upset people so be it that means i'm doing the right thing well you follow your heart and that's clear and you so you understand the territory of what you're getting into but if you could let's just say have the superpower snap your finger and everybody agrees with you honestly you would snap your finger and everybody shares your viewpoint (laughs) would you select that magical power That is an absurd question. No, but you're saying like you got to get used to the people that push back. You got to get used to the critics. And that sounds fine. But wouldn't you prefer if everybody was on the same page with how Josh Friday views society should be functioning? Uh, Well, sure. But 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 obviously not reality. So um, people. Uh, people are always going to have different opinions. so that, And that's okay. And that's why I don't regret well, people for having different opinions. But it's only um, the way they express them if it's like in a way where they're articulating their point not to be malicious. But we're in a world right now spawned by maybe yeah. social media and message boards where these people who disagree with you, they are vicious. And that's what I'm kind of bringing up is you don't seem to get bothered. I'll read an article that you've written, let's say in the Chronicle. And then I keep scrolling and I see these fucking horrible people writing the meanest stuff about my friend and I get angry. But the funniest part is knowing that you don't get angry at all because your advice to me one day was, you know, we all die. You remember when you said that? I do. It's actually a power. It's powerful. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, yeah. So who's got time to worry about that? Uh, I, I put, I put out my feelings and my thoughts, uh, hope in the hopes that it inspires some people. And if it if it if 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 calling on people to serve sends you in such a rage that you have to write a comment uh, <laughs> on a uh, on a blog, then um, I'm not going to be too concerned about it. Do you I'm read them? Keep Do you read them? No, I don't. My mother-in-law does, and she gets very upset. So I appreciate her. Between my mother-in-law and you, Josh, I got I got people looking out for me, so I don't have to read them. Should I stop? Honestly, do you think I should stop reading the negative comments on message boards about you? No, I just assumed you're the one that is writing back to them on the I best should. message. Oh, I'm so tempted every time. Well, because I sweat the small stuff. We know that. I, I got to give myself credit. I don't always sweat the big stuff, but I sweat the small stuff because I'm a sensitive. You're one of the best in the business at it. Young man. I'll say I'm a sensitive young man, but that is one of the reasons why I do meditate. And I kind of want to get into okay. our day at Spirit Rock in West Marin. This is, you know, a world renowned meditation center, but I know why I meditate. Do you know what draws you to this world of being present outside of the obvious comments, you know, the cliche and general reasons why people meditate specifically for you individually? Why are you drawn to that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, And I'm so glad you brought up meditation. Uh, Obviously, something we both share, a passion we have. um, And meditation for the last several years has played an important part of my life. 
you know, you know what I think I really appreciate about meditating, um, and there's so many levels to it. And by I by no means pretend that I understand it all, and and, and but I hope to you know understand more and keep getting deeper into it. But what, one of the things I really appreciate about it is in the practice of meditation, part a big part of the um, I think a big part of a practice is to realize through your meditation that things are temporal, and so you have thoughts that sort of come through i know josh you've described it as like a wave before but you have you have thoughts that come through and you're you you know you're supposed to acknowledge them um and then uh and try not to focus on them because it's only temporary uh and things move and and to acknowledge and recognize your emotions when you have those thoughts uh and acknowledge them and not judge yourself no matter what the thought is um or the fact that you had a thought when you're supposed to just be focusing on your breathing um that you don't need to judge yourself if you're negative about that or if you're positive you just sort of ex- you just uh, acknowledge it for what it is and i think if you can do that for 10 minutes a day or 5 minutes 20 minutes and understand that i found it to be very helpful uh in the rest of parts of my life including what you mentioned before about people being very negative in a public sphere is most things in life are, are temporal and so i think we can acknowledge them and acknowledge how we feel and realize that that those two shall pass and we keep moving on that's well said and i i realize i need it it's not just like i like it like it's a side hobby it's almost like my medication i need it so i do set aside 10 minutes a day and i can tell when i don't have that in my life because i'm clearly one to spiral out of control without a little focusing on your breath, <laughs> even though I'm the worst meditator That's in the, the world. Talking, <laughs> the I'm on talking. my sixth cup. So we're with Chief's local chief service officer, Josh Ryder is here on the show. Um, the takeaways at Spirit Rock that day, I remember you emailed me, like you took notes towards the end, and I still... Do you have those notes? Absolutely, I still them? refer to them. I think, just pull them, up, pull them up for your audience. They want the notes. Honestly? Sure, why not? While you pull the notes up, I'll tell you. So one thing I appreciate about meditating is I did some research when I first started, and it was you. Um, it was it was a, a book around willpower, and so willpower, which is basically, you know, what you think about willpower, it's like willpower to go on a run or to pay the bills or to not eat that extra piece of cake, like whatever it is. It actually takes it something called willpower, which is actually a physical part of your brain. So it's actually something. There's something physical in your brain that controls willpower and it can go up and down and the three things that can affect you building willpower uh are exercise sleeping and meditation so there's actual scientific um research and proof that through meditating uh, you can actually increase your willpower um for the rest of your life which i thought was super interesting you have it yeah i'm just gonna rip through these real quick go uh, all right, so these are Josh Friday's notes from Spirit Rock back in 2016. You cannot wait for happiness. It's not something we achieve. It must be lived every day. Number two, you can't be consumed with the future because they are things that haven't happened, so no sense in obsessing over it. You can't obsess over the past either. Number three, it's okay to be an advocate for social justice and fight like hell while being balanced and kind to everybody. That's tough, because when you're an activist, you do get angry with the opposition. Uh, number four, being aware of feelings and emotions and thoughts is important because once you are aware of it, you can't simultaneously be it. Oh, I love that one. That's pretty much all of it. When you can identify thoughts as just thoughts. Uh, number five, it says meditation is not about achieving or benefiting from the effects of it. It's not even trying to attain something, just trying to be. And then finally, you can only get clarity of mind when you let it go. It even feels good to read that right now. I'm not, I'm not joking. I, I'm so easily influenced by some of these great messages 
of the Buddhist world that just reading that right now kind of reminds me to take a breath and calm the fuck down. (laughs) it's a good reminder it's a good reminder you know it's interesting i just had a conversation with my son about buddhism because he was asking a question i think about um about he asked basically are all things he didn't say this but he says are all things like temporal like not non-permanent like and he was thinking about how you know your pets die and you you know if you move you lose friends and so he was asking about um uh the fact that things aren't permanent in life and it made it made me think about the many of those things we learned at Spirit Rock and and other Buddhist teaching. But it was it was kind of fascinating trying to have a conversation with your eight year old son about it. They ask such amazing questions. That's uh, true. So good. Well, I think the answer is also yes. Everything is temporary, and it's okay that that's the answer. Although you specifically, you like to create these benchmark traditions. You're like, oh, maybe every December we should go here, or maybe we should, you know, do sushi on my birthday or play tennis in February. Do you know where that comes from? The idea that you still, even though you know everything is temporary and fluid, you still like to organize a year's calendar where you have some things that you go, that's my annual tradition. Uh, That is my way of, I think, trying to slow time down. Uh, and trying to appreciate and be present, uh, so it's, and have something to look forward to, but then also have something that you appreciate. So, uh, so you can kind of mark time and make make it feel like at when it, at the end of this, because as you pointed out earlier, we all will die. At the end of this, um, we have we have taken advantage of our time, our like you know our our minuscule amount of time on this earth. Uh, and we've done it with the people that we care about the most. And to me, that's why I think traditions are so fun and impactful. Have you achieved that, though? Have you created enough traditions where you feel like you are manipulating time? No. But I, no. I would, no, I wouldn't say it, but I want to. My goal is to get there. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. I love the idea. Every time you and I have a conversation of like, oh, should we go to a jazz club uh, every, you know, February for my birthday? It sounds good in the conversation, but we know how life is. You know, it's tough to put these I, annual marks. But we have gone to uh, we have gone to Eduardo's every Christmas Eve for the last several years. That's a good and call. That's a fun tradition because now I'll look back on life and I'll be like, you know, what was a great time? Christmas Eve's. Christmas Eve's were fun because I went with Rosenberg to Eduardo's for some lentil soup every year at the same time. That's a good call, and I actually give you credit because I'd probably let that day pass and go. I'll just see him next week, and you're like, no, 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 no. You clear your damn schedule, Rosenberg. Um, here's one that I'll give you a moment to think about. If I gave you 20 minutes and a pen and a piece of paper and I said, write down a list of the good things in the world and write down a list of the bad things in the world, just off the top of your head, which list would be longer? Uh, I think you'd have to say um, the things that are good, the things that make you happy. I mean, I think you can do that without being blind or naive to all the injustice and suffering that exists in the world, uh, which is plentiful. But I think in order for us, I think an essential part of being able to make a difference uh, and being able to have an impact on others and help others, it starts with gratitude. It starts with having a sense of being grateful for what uh, we do have, even if that's simply blue skies and waking up every day and, family that loves us um but if we can be grateful for what we have then i think we can recognize what others don't uh and then and then start to identify how we can be part of the solution in in creating a more just world so i would hope if i did that exercise my my list of things to be 
happy about and grateful for was longer. This will be a classic agree to disagree. And I'm not being negative. I'm not being pessimistic. This is actually something I do with my students on the first day of school. And I give them time to write out the list. Are you saying I just failed the test? I just failed, Mr. Rosenberg. No, I mean, it's relative to the individual, if you truly mean that. But I find it to be so obvious that the list of bad things would keep going and going and going. Weapons of mass destruction, you know, famine and hunger and poverty and, you know, COVID-19 and stress. And I could write so many things. And then I go positives. Yeah, sushi, sex, stand-up comedy, friends. I could probably write about 10, 11 things. But the point is, I think every day the intention has to be to battle through some of the negatives. And that's why we find things like go on a run, do yoga, meditate. It's not easy to always stay in a mindset, a headspace to embrace the positives. Are there plenty? Yes. I agree with everything you just said, but I find the world to be inundated. And maybe I consume too much of the news with negatives. And my list of negatives would be so long. And my list of positives would probably just be eh, 10 to 20 things. Do you think that sounds overly pessimistic? No, I don't think that I don't disagree that, that you could come up with an endless list of wrongs in the world um, and problems. But the question is, is what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I think that the challenge is, is if you if you write, if you if you focus on the endless list of things that need to be changed or the endless injustices and suffering in the world, you I think it, it becomes easy. You know, I'll just speak for myself. You almost become paralyzed and you think, oh, God, there's too much to take on. So all I can do is focus on myself and what's going on in my world. And I think the point is, is that if we're going to actually try to tackle some of these bigger issues and actually uh, bring justice to the world and, and help those in need, we have to probably focus on a smaller number of those things that are really the most egregious and, and need the most focus, uh, just because that's all the mental capacity and emotional capacity we have as humans to focus on so that we don't just become paralyzed and just want to focus on ourselves. So, But that's just that's just speaking for me. So it's not that I disagree that you can come up with an endless list and certainly our news and, uh, and the way we've set up our information channels uh, contribute to that. But I think the question is, if, if we're trying to make a difference and we're trying to help others, you know, we can't focus on everything. We, get, we can only focus on, you know, a few things that are probably we're, we're most passionate about or think are the most important. Sure, what you do. So you do focus on injustices daily and you don't seem paralyzed by it. Actually, that's what you're supposed to do. You can't come into work every day and say, here's what's good. Here's what's working beautifully and we don't even need to touch. You kind of do have to focus on the negative areas of society that need to be addressed. I think that's part of your job description, not to minimize your job description, um, but that's kind of a generalization of what you do. You're going to find the areas of society where you go, this, this can't continue. We're a democratic society and we, the people, have the power to make change. Or I don't think there's a negative to looking at negatives because it causes you to kind of use your brain to stay sharp and look for sure. strategies. No, you have, you have to, of course. And that's why I said it's not that I, I would encourage myself or anybody to be naive uh, or look away at the injustices. The question is, what's the best pathway to to create change? And and to to your point, in, you know, with my current job, I think about um, I think about how people can can be the solution and how people can serve each other and help each other and how to create opportunities for them. So in some ways, I get to, I have forty million reasons, which is the forty million people of California. Uh, 40 million reasons to, to be hopeful, to think that everyone can give back, everyone can make a difference, everyone can serve and, and uh, create change. And so uh, in that, you know, in that, in that, 
example, I, I actually, unless I can come up with 40 million negative things that are wrong, uh, I, my, my good is going to outweigh my bad. That's, that's actually pretty interesting. You know what's funny, Josh, is before I even invited you on this podcast, I wondered if it would appeal to you because you're in a position where you have to be kind of measured with your responses. And I brought this up to you. I said, we're good friends, but if you want to decline, that's all good. And you still said, no, I'll come on the podcast. But do you feel like 100% honesty, and this is not insinuating that you're dishonest when you speak publicly, but do you think it's even possible for any elected official in this country to truly be 100% honest with their discourse nowadays? Yes. I do think people can be honest. I think... um I think being measured and thinking about, you know, how to stay on message is is about is a communication strategy to try to in, in a cluttered world to try to stay focused and get a point across. But I think you can do that while being honest. Absolutely. Um, that doesn't mean I'm like divulging every single thought that's going on in my mind at the time. Sure. Uh, which, you know, because some of them could be private or whatnot. But, yeah, I, th- I absolutely think people can be honest and. And one can be honest uh, as a as a politician, and 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 frankly, we should expect our politicians to be honest. So, it's you know we shouldn't we shouldn't be even even though uh, many aren't, and and some obvious examples at the highest levels of those who aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should expect them to be uh, and hold them accountable when they're not. Yeah, and I, uh, when I say honest, I'm talking about like about flaws or personal struggles. And this whole idea of you know we use the uh, adjective yeah. presidential. And I, I, I don't want you to apply that to what's going on in the world right now with our president, but yeah. presidential, when you and I were growing up, that was like, you know, high regard, presidential. And you want these people to look well put together in a nice suit with a perfect haircut and to say the right yeah. things. But nowadays I find myself being more drawn to people who are just honest about, hey, here's where I struggle. Here's where I fuck up a yeah. lot. Here's the mistakes I make. Here are my flaws. And I don't know. You just, in your line of work, you don't see a lot of that and maybe yeah. people still want to hold politicians in this different realm, but I don't, I, I like for my leaders um, to be honest with their true flaws. No, I think you're actually, I get what you're asking now. I think you're hundred percent right. I think people are, are starved for authenticity. We hear that a lot. It's almost become a cliche, but I, I think you're absolutely right that people do want their leaders to be more authentic and not to feel like they're overly polished or perfect. Cause obviously none of us are. Um, and I just one example I know that's powerful is there's a, a guy who named J- Jason Kander ran um, for uh, office in, in Missouri for Senate lost. Uh, and then afterwards, um, after he lost, he's, he's young, he's about he's close to our age. He was a, he's a veteran, um, was in Iraq, I believe, came out and talked about after the election, several months after the election, how he was dealing very severely with PTSD and depression and was suicidal. And this was someone who was, you know, was put on a pedestal and obviously didn't feel comfortable or at the time talking about it when he was running for office. Uh, but I think when he did come out, it, you know, it was very powerful and people were drawn to it. And also it helped a lot of people because people could realize that even someone who seems to have everything together and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, have ambition and all that could still be struggling. And, and I, think, um, I think it's an important message for people to hear. Yeah, and I want to identify with these people. I think my favorite podcasts, you know, are these hosts that really reveal a lot of things that you go, wow, people don't usually talk about that, but the vulnerability. Maybe that's what's changing with some of our leaders, I hope. That's a great story you just told. All right, a few quick ones. I know you're a busy, busy man getting ready to move to Davis with three sons and a wife. Um, Your bedroom, 
we became friends, I think, when we were 10, 11 years old. Your bedroom, posters of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, John Lennon. You seem to be, if I could use the word woke right now, at a young age, you seem to have the soul of an activist. Like you cared about the bigger picture. Do you know where that comes from? And I know your parents, so I, I have some ideas. But why is a 9, 10, 11 year old, were you so ready to decorate your room with these you know, wonderful figures in history? Yeah, well, obviously, my parents, you know, uh, had a big part of that in, in, in uh, teaching me to be socially conscious and talking to me about the world. Um, but I think I did. I think most, most of the part what, it, what excited me about those people that you just mentioned and what inspired me about them, even from a young age, is that they didn't just see an unjust world and a world that, that needed to be changed and was unfair. They actually spent their lives uh, dedicated to doing something about it uh, and and being willing to um, to question authority and uh, and challenge systems uh, and really dedicate you know their whole lives and uh, everything they did to trying to change it and, and you know and uh, several of them as a result died uh, because of it and I just was always inspired that they were willing to give up everything in order to, to make our country and, and this world a better place. And I don't know why that inspired me as a kid, uh, but it did. And I've always hoped that, uh, that in the actions that I took and the things that I did that, you know, I lived up to some fraction of the standard that they held themselves to. You are, I'll just, you know, feed you a compliment right now. You are still on that path. And I like how you give some credit to your parents. Here's an obscure one for you. When your kids, when your three boys are your exact age, what are you, 39 right now? I am. Thanks for saying it on air. Yeah. So if your three boys were 39 years old and they were asked about a lesson that they learned from old Daddy Friday, what would you want <laughs> one of those lessons to be? What would you hope that there's one thing that you've instilled upon them? Uh, the one thing I would want, the one thing I hope that I've instilled upon them, and they probably hear it most when they beat each other up, uh, is that <laughs> we're talking about real are, beatings too? Let's not graze over that one. These kids beat the shit out of yeah. each other. They're good. They can, they, <laughs> they can walk each other. But They're the good. important part, the important part that I try to teach them, and that uh, I hope that they take for the rest of their lives, is that it's our job to protect those who are smaller and weaker than us, uh, or who have less than us. And so, uh, hopefully. Hopefully the, um, the older siblings, uh, especially, and, but also the younger ones take away that, uh, it's, it's, we, you have to protect people who, who either are weaker or have less, uh, and you can't beat them up and you can't be a bully. And we have too many bullies in this world, too many people who take advantage of those who have less. Uh, and I hope that, I hope that they, they learn that it's their job to protect others. Beautiful. I mean that. I love like my post answer statement. Beautiful. But I mean it. That was beautifully put. All right, Josh, when we were 16 years old, we spent the whole day together and you didn't reveal that you had your first car until well into the evening because of true humiliation. Now, this is a guy that went through the full day of hanging out with me before he said underneath his breath, you know, I got a car. You have a car? And we're talking about the Chevy Comet, folks. And the color of this comet was as brown as any poo at the bottom of any toilet. Can you explain some of your memories about this first car? It's like the steering wheel was just like a little thin piece of bamboo. What are your true memories about acquiring this first car? 
So for the record, it was not humiliation. It was humility because <laughs> I knew how to jealous I'll be that I had a 1976 Mercury Comet that squeaked every time it had to make a slight turn. <laughs> it was not safe. Uh, it was not safe. Duty. My dad, and God bless his soul, uh, was so proud to buy me my first car from somebody who I think was just trying to get it off their hands. Uh, I'm not sure we actually paid money for it, but... A 12 pack. Uh, she was a beaut and i just for the record again all of our friends uh fought over who could test drive it uh that bad boy so 1976 mercury comet one of the greatest stories of all time yeah the person who sold it to you had two options roll it off a cliff or roll it into your driveway <laughs> and you directed them like you were you know at the airport bring it right I, in I, I bring it here that thing, i seem to remember that thing getting us to quite a few giants games though am i wrong you're absolutely right, which is astounding. And it made its way to Slim's to see Cosmo live. Yeah, that thing got us into the city a few times. And it would always shake just enough to let you know that you might not make it through the night. All right, Josh, I'm going to wrap it up with gratitude. And clearly, you've mentioned that plenty of times throughout this episode. This is the Josh Friday episode. But to express a little gratitude is I'm proud of you. Uh, I love you, as you know. And it's great to have you on this podcast because I know one day we'll listen back to this and be happy that we captured some of your wisdom. So thank you, my man. I appreciate this. Well, thank you. And I'm proud of you for having this podcast. It's, it's unbelievable that you've done it and it's a good outlet for you and the rest of us get to enjoy the, uh, the labor of your love. So thank you. Thank you. And are you taking the comment to Costco <laughs> in a few moments? I think the comet disintegrated in the early, uh, or late 90s. <laughs> Spontaneous <laughs> combustion. Do we have any pictures? I need one. I'd love to see that That's old great, piece of I, I shit. I expect you to draw me one. If you could just draw one. That's also a lost art. Kids aren't drawing little photos, little little cartoons and sending them around the classroom. It's all text message, Josh. We could just complain about the new techie era. But that is I, actually one of the biggest downsides of distant learning is how are you going to get caught trading a note with your friends by your teacher <laughs> in this environment? Kids miss getting caught. That's how much social just distance the, learning is tough. Most of the, the most important... Uh, lessons I learned as a child was getting caught writing notes back and forth and drawing pictures of our <laughs> teachers. And, and now these kids are not going to get to experience that. It's tragic. And I know deep down you saved all of these. One day in one of these old shoe boxes in your garage, we're going to explore. Speaking of old shoe boxes in the garage, I hope your mom could find that romper room performance because that was brilliant. The way you handled Miss Nancy on the set was so wonderful. You know, so such confidence. I don't agree with everything you said on this podcast. But I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree with that. That was a brilliant performance. Oh, it should be on YouTube, not collecting dust in the garage. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you. <laughs> Love you. Bye. All right. There's Josh. That man has always been an old soul. Old soul Friday. I remember when we were 12, we were actually going to the movies and he wanted to see the firm. We were 12 years old. He's like, I, I believe the firm could be compelling. I was like, how about Dennis the Menace? We're 12. But he wanted to see the boring-ass firm, and we did with Tom Cruise. I didn't love it. He was the type of guy who said, we should be seeing JFK. We should go see JFK with Kevin Costner. And I was like, what? Bad News Bears. Let's just go rent some old Andrew Dice Clay at Blockbuster, which he likes, too. I could go on and on with his professional resume and accomplishments, but I should point out, expert Nintendo PowerPad competitor. Expert Nintendo PowerPad player. And I don't even think that's beside the point. Still wears clothes with stains from the 90s. The people's champ. The people's champ. 
All right, when he gets to the White House one day, I hope he's still proud of episode 93. Hope it represents him well. I think it did. All right, so 93 is now in the books. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>